We're coming to you live from London today for the first ever episode of the Animal House Podcast. Welcome to the Animal House Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Nicole Smith. We are a movement of like-minded rebels who believe businesses win by building brands and success is defined by personal freedom. Join us if you dare as we go behind the scenes each week with marketing trendsetters and iconic brands who embody our Animal House philosophy. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for clicking play and for coming to join me on this new little audio adventure, the Animal House podcast. This is our first ever episode and what better way to start than with someone I truly adore and idolize and have tons of respect for. And I expect you might as well miss Victoria Stilwell. You probably know Victoria from It's Me or the Dog, the television show on Animal Planet that ran for years and years and is still playing in like a hundred countries around the world. But today I wanted to talk to her about not so much dog training, but how she got her start and how she went from this little village, Wimbledon, here not far from where I live now, selling sandwiches and walking dogs to being the celebrity and wonderful philanthropist that she is today out there still donating her time, her energy, and tons and tons of great resources, putting them out there into the world to help push her mission forward, which is to change dogs' lives positively, which is something we can all get behind. I've worked with Victoria for a few years, helping her build some of her brands, including the Victoria Stillwell Dog Training Academy, which is something I'm excited to say. I am actually a faculty member teaching marketing now, two dog trainers who are coming up through Victoria's program. And it's such a joy to be able to work with her on this mission of hers. So let's not delay. Let's dig right into our interview with Victoria and find out how she got her start, what motivates her, and a few little tips for appearing on video and some other little tips about running a business that relies on content to make a difference. So let's dig in. So I'm really, really excited to have you here today, Victoria. It's a real privilege to speak with someone that you've idolized for a decade. And I know everyone else feels the same. So welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, hey, look, the the same goes to you. We work well (laughs) together, I think. Yeah, it's a a joy and it it makes life easy to work with, with clients that you love. So I think the most logical place to start is where you started. I don't know how many people actually know the story of how you began your career. So we'd love to hear kind of where you were and how It's Me or the Dog actually became a reality. I've always been an entrepreneur and I've always loved animals. And I started off wanting to be an actor. So I went to drama school. Sorry, first of all, I went to university. And it was actually at university that I, you know, at university, got to earn some cash. So I'd started these little businesses everywhere. And one of the businesses I remember was that uh, without a license, I have to say, because we had no idea that we had to get a license. (laughs) One of my friends and I, because we had no money, we decided that we would go down, we would make sandwiches. We were were in Enfield, which is sort of North London, at university there, Middlesex University. And we thought we'd go make sandwiches and go down to Camden Market and sell them to make some cash. And so... We did. And we actually made quite a bit of money. (laughs) We had no idea you need to have a food license. I mean, God, what what are we? We're in our early 20s or we had no idea. So that was our kind of things. I was always, how can I create a business? And uh, well, after university, I then went to drama school because I wanted to be an actor. And it was at drama school that I 
carried on with a job that I'd kind of been doing throughout university and between university and drama school. And that was dog sitting. And it was through dog sitting that I became a dog walker. And I remember I was walking one dog a day. And by the end of the month, because of word of mouth, I was walking 20 dogs a day. And I was fa- I found that not only was I earning a lot of money, but I was also loving what I was doing. And in fact, the money sort of ceased to be, it was great to pay the rent, but it ceased to be the most important thing. The fact that I was getting out and I was bringing some joy into these dogs' lives every day while their owners were at work and the freedom that I felt walking these animals, it just, it just felt right. And then one day when I was walking and I walked on Wimbledon Common, a guy came up to me who was a trainer and he asked me, he said, do your dogs ever fight? And I went, no. He said, do your dogs ever run away? I said, no. And, I'm, and remember, I'm walking 20 a day. So I'm walking 10 in the morning, 10 in the afternoon. And they're all off leash, by the way. They're all off the leash. Wimbledon Common, you could do that then. And, and I said, no. And he said, have you ever wondered why? And I went, no. He said, do you want to find out? <laughs> <laughs> what a great and, sales pitch. <laughs> yes, it's a great sales pitch. And, and that was it. From there, I learned so much. And I started going to lectures and started reading and started studying, became fascinated with dog behavior. How do humans, how, I mean, my question was, or the question I kept on asking myself was, how come two predatory species can live together so successfully? And, and I've been trying to discover the answer to that question ever since. <laughs> and you're not alone. <laughs> No. <laughs> so, how did so did did you then become a dog trainer, or were you just sort of a student of dog, of dog behavior? Well, I was, I was a student for a long time because I thought, you know, I, I really I wanted to learn as much as I could, and of course, my first job then was acting. So, I went to drama school. I came out of drama school. I had an agent, and I had my first job. It was Juliet and Romeo and Juliet on tour, <laughs> and and then I did pantomime, and I did voiceovers, and I did TV, and and then I did Buddy the musical, and did that for three and a half years. And that was, I met my husband doing that. And that's how we came over to the United States. And it was really, I mean, I, I was starting to do training whilst I was in London, but it wasn't really until I came over to Manhattan that I decided I was going to set up my dog training business. By then, and I felt like I had had so much experience, I was ready to put myself out there. Hey, how naive was that? <laughs> I thought, you know, yeah, Manhattan is a difficult place in itself. Yeah. And you're setting a business up there and then you're you're dealing with all the different kinds of people there, let alone the dogs. I mean, the dogs are the easy thing. You're dealing with all different kinds of people in all different kinds of neighborhoods in Manhattan. And so that was a baptism of fire for me. But I really believe the two years I spent with uh, Dog Trainers of New York, which was my company that I also set up with another trainer, were the best years for learning. Because it was a baptism of fire. I was thrown in the deep end and I learned so much. So you just did it. You just put yourself out there. Just did it. Look, I went around pet stores or shops, put my cards up there. I went to veterinarians. I asked if I could meet with the vets and just very briefly so they could meet me and I would give them their cards and um, or give them my cards. And I I everywhere I went everywhere because it really remember this was the time this was before social media so it really was boots on the ground it was going out there to all of the stores the big ones and the small ones 
to put my information out there and to the surgeries and to the grooming parlors and to doggy daycare. So it worked. We were hugely busy all the time. So how did you go from uh, boots on the ground, sort of bootstrapping this dog training business to combining this incredible skill with your other skills and passions as an actor? How did you, how did that aha happen? Well, part of my mission whilst I was in Manhattan is that I was, I got very, very involved in animal rescue. And every single weekend I would spend the weekend outside a pet store. I think it was 84th and um, 9th or 10th, no, 9th, um, Amsterdam's, 84th and Amsterdam. Wow, and good th- memory. Pet, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a pet store there. Well, it was around the 80s and there was a pet store there and they would allow us during the weekends to set up our crates. And, and I was with a, a company called, or a charity called Cause for Paws, where we would really, you know, get rescue dogs from the municipal shelters before they were put down and get them new homes. So my husband and I started to foster as well. So we really, whilst the the two years we were in Manhattan, we fostered around 40 dogs and cats, but we also saved a lot more through Cause for Paws. And it was, I was sick of the waste of life I was seeing, literally thousands and thousands and thousands of animals being put down in the municipal shelters every year in Manhattan and the five boroughs. So I wanted to get my training information out to a large audience. By this time, we'd moved to to New Jersey and I'd become a a mum. But I still wasn't satisfied in the the small reach that I had. And then my daughter was eight months old. I remember putting her to bed one night. I sat down exhausted and turned on the television. And the first episode of The Super Nanny was airing on ABC. (laughs) And I remember looking at that and going, oh, my goodness. This is what I do with dogs. This is it. (laughs) Same kind of approach that Joe Frost, the super nanny, had with kids, firm but fair and kind. I have the same with dogs. So I emailed the producers of the super nanny, my idea. And the next day they called me. Three months later, I was filming the pilot. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I was filming the pilot for a show we had no name to until we were filming with a lovely family in England that had an old English sheepdog and the old English sheepdog bit a lot of people. So his name was Blue. And I remember the man and the woman sitting on the sofa and the woman really didn't want the dog and the man really wanted the dog, loved the dog. And the woman turned to the man and she said, you know what? It's me or the dog. And that was it. Did all the producers we, jump? <laughs> yeah, we kind of looked at, I kind of looked at them going, mm, I like that. So yes, uh, and that was that was it. And really, the the first season came out in the summer of two thousand and five. That was wonderful because it did really well. And then it was picked up for another season, and then another season, and then so on, so on. Wow. So, yeah. So just a quick sort of question because I'm sure people are interested. A, how did you find the information for the producer? And B, how did you get the guts to actually send that email? Or were you just like so driven? You're like, I have to do this. This is going to happen. You just knew. I just knew it. I knew it. And I remember watching the television and I was shaking all over. I, 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 cannot, I cannot describe to you what it felt like. I watched this and I literally, I started shaking. I started just going, oh my God, that's it. That's it. That's how I'm going to get information out to people. That's it. It's going to work. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't 100% easy. It was, 
I mean, in television terms, believe you me, it was <laughs> very fast and very easy. But yeah. my husband and I still put a had to put a video together of me training. And fortunately, we were able to find a great family in New Jersey to film with. That's And our video that we put together sold the idea to Channel 4. So we really did. But I've always been like, I, no fear. Why? If you don't apply to Harvard, you don't get in. And so uh, that I've, that's always been my mantra. Why? Why? Why can't you? Why couldn't I do it? And nobody knew who I was. I mean, if you'd watched Buddy Holly or you'd seen the bill a couple of times, you might know who <laughs> I was. But nobody, I'm just a, a trainer, just working. And But I have the right idea at the right time. And it hit and it stuck. But there's also, I don't believe ideas work unless you have passion behind them. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah, I always have passion. I always do. And the thing is, I get knocked down a lot as well. In this business, when you're working in business and it, it's always a constant battle, I get knocked down a lot. But I'm very resilient. And I think as an entrepreneur, as a business person, you have to be resilient and you have to be flexible and you have to try new things. Wow. So, I mean, obviously it did work. The show is now syndicated in over, what, 100 countries? Which is just yeah. crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I guess your career sort of just took off, didn't it? Just like wildfire as the show spread and spread and spread. So what do you think, what did that mean for you as all of a sudden you went from being a dog trainer in New Jersey to this TV star? What did that mean for the development of your sort of personal brand as Victoria Stilwell? Well, I think it was my husband, really, who's sort of more of the business mind. I mean, I'm more of the creative person, and he's more of the business mind. They say that, it was interesting, I was listening to a lecture the other day, and I was saying that opposites attract. So the realists attract the dreamers, and the dreamers attract the realists. And so <laughs> I'm a dreamer, and he's a realist. So I'm the one that says, oh, my gosh, I've got this great idea, and I get really excited about it. And he's the one that goes, well, that's very nice, dear, but how? That's totally my husband and me as well. Yeah. So and I think that combination works. My husband is the business person. And so he recognized the fact that television is fleeting. Television is there for a little while, then it's going to go. How are we going to capitalize and grow a brand from this? How are we going to use this platform? And really, our mission from the beginning was how are we going to use this platform to spread the word about positive training? More than how are we going to build the platform to earn lots of cash. And again, that's why I think it works because it's a passion project because people think, oh, you're on TV, you're going to be loaded. Oh, they're going to pay. No, no, no. I mean, if you're in something like The Office, maybe, but not, not, in, not on cable, not on our thing. And, um, and so I have to say, when I first started working with you guys and we were doing some projects and working on, on a website, you know, Van, your husband, was very clear that the mission was all about education, spreading the yeah. word. And when I was saying like, right, okay, so how are we going to build ROI? And how are we going to, he's like, nope, we're not talking about that. We're talking about building something that really spreads a message. And that's pretty unique. I don't think <laughs> most companies don't, don't want to talk about the message first, which I think is, is, is you're right, a huge part of why you have such a raving audience. It is because it's genuine. That's what, I mean, you get the odd occasional person saying, oh, you're only doing this for the money. And really, I'm not. I'm really not. I mean, you should see my husband and I were in a little one one bedroom apartment in Manhattan and then and a, a falling down house in New Jersey. Believe you me, we ain't doing this for the money. <laughs> but 
it is that passion and that desire because I really, truly care and I really want to help people and help animals. I have it in me and I don't sleep at night if I feel like I failed in that. So with that mission, which this incredible passion to spread the word and to help people, what did you do with that to create a business out of it? Or how did you decide to actually take that or with your husband build that something sustainable out of that mission? What came after the television show? Well, the TV show lasted for a long time. So, I mean, we really were filming that for eight years. So whilst we were doing TV, whilst I was doing the show, social media came into it, it was just being developed. And so we started to use social media more and more to be able to spread that message. But again, really social media exploded after my show finished. But we still, you know, we created a website. It wasn't a very good website until you came along. But <laughs> And then we started to post on social media and we began to use these platforms. And then we would take endorsements. I wrote books, things like that, that could really support the TV show, but also exist by itself. Because at the end of the day, if you were to look at a five-year mission or a 10-year mission for Positively, first of all, it would be, we've helped a lot of dogs. We've helped a lot of people. And then it would be, we have a brand that exists on its own without television. And I think, you know, that answers a previous question, as in that was our plan, that everything that we were doing around the television show needed to exist after the show went away. So even though the show gets is in reruns here, there and everywhere, and is still getting sold to other countries, in places like the UK, it's no longer being shown. And in America here, you get the odd occasional rerun, but, you know, so, but the brand still exists. And the brand is worldwide and it exists because of a great website. It exists because of really good social media where we are now reaching over 5 million people a week on social media alone. Wow, that is incredible reach. Yes, yes, it is. And we have a great social media person, uh, director um, of digital stuff that we have and she's great and has really grown. And it's, it's interesting because... You know, we have a couple of hundred thousand on our Facebook, for example, and we don't buy likes. We never bought likes, but, and we don't really advertise as well. It, it's just grown organically. And that's what I like about it because, because it's grown organically, we have, we might not have millions and millions of Facebook likes, but we have big engagement. Your engagement is huge. I've spent some time with your audience and not only is it engaged, but it is passionate and it is <laughs> incredibly well educated and supportive and audiences. It's not a business audience by any means. It's sort of an, an advocate audience, isn't it? it Everybody it cares. Is. It is. And they are very passionate. A lot of them are very knowledgeable. And sometimes I will post things that, that get conversations going. Because I think we need to have these conversations, especially when it comes to using um, bad techniques and things that cause pain or fear on dogs, which I'm dead set against. And so I'll post it. And you call, you get the odd person coming on there and saying, Victoria, still, you're a jerk. And that's fine. <laughs> and you just hit the ban button and that's fine. But social media has really helped. YouTube's really helped. So now our brand exists by itself. Could it be bigger? Yes, it will. It, it will. We'll keep growing it. But we're very happy where it is right now because. It's a brand people can trust. And again, that was our mission. We want this to not just help dogs and people, but we want people to really see this as genuine and that they can trust it. 
because I'm not going to put my name or do anything that I don't feel is trustworthy. Right. So that's what helps the information spread and helps change, change lives, isn't it? If people can really trust, like you say, in that this is the information that they should rely on because there's so much out there. There's so many sources that people are getting good information, bad information. And when they bring home that new puppy or that dog from the shelter and they just are at a loss of what to do next, you need to be able to have a source that you can really rely on that you know is going to be telling you things that are going to make your relationship with your dog better rather than doing harm like a lot of the other. And it's hard to tell the difference, isn't it? If you don't know, you don't know. And I love that about Positively.com because it's a place that I can really recommend to people to say, right, you're getting a puppy, go to this website, type in your question. You can trust the information that comes up there. So that's a great point you made about trust. I want to talk a little bit about content because I am a huge fan of content marketing. And I think you guys are the masters. I don't know how you do it, but you are constantly putting out so much information. You push it out on Facebook. You've got it on the website. You're doing videos, podcasts, sending emails. How do you guys come up with all those ideas and all that content? How do you make that happen? It comes from being a dreamer. It becomes from being creative. And that's what I am. But also Alex Andes, who's our uh, our digital director and my assistant as well, and she takes a a lot of the social media as well, is very tuned into the whole animal world. And so we're always looking for stories that will touch people, that will mean something to people. And what we've learned, I mean, you cannot have your Facebook page and just put disaster after disaster after disaster on it. People will turn off. They will not read it. They will not follow your page. So you, you be uplifting too. Put on great stories that make people feel good. And then you can put on something like, oh, this is Puppy Mills horrendous and you, you know, the need support. But then again, put on amazing stories. Like today we just put on, whilst we're doing this interview, we just put on a, a story about this photographer who captures hungry dogs' hilarious expressions when they catch treats. That That's not our thing. We just found it on a website that we like and we've now posted it on us. And now um, already it's been up an hour and it's reached about 36,000 people. So it's doing something that, that people really like to read. And that's, what I, that's my advice I would give is that don't always do just doom and gloom. Because when you're an animal advocate, it, it can be quite tough. There is a lot of burnout because there is, there's a lot of great things that are going on. And there's a lot of bad things going on. And sometimes the bad can really outdo the good. I mean, it really can, can, there's so much good, but the good is pushed to the background because there's so much bad there. Really make it that it's a balance. And you feel really passionate about changing it, don't you? So it must be hard to really restrain yourself from just sharing all the bad because you want people to help you make a difference. So I think that's a really insightful thing that okay, that's fine, but you're not going to reach anyone if you if that's all you share, is that? Right. And also, you know, we do things like trainer tips, just a little tip for people. And we have wonderful contributors who write great articles for us. And these are our trainers and bloggers. Uh, we have some great bloggers as well. So we're always putting on really meaningful content. And, you know, it works. It works. But we work hard. I mean, the social media in itself is a full-time job, whether you're so we have my Facebook page, we have our Twitter page, we have Instagram, and we have YouTube. And of course, coming up with the ideas for videos on YouTube, I mean, we've, we've got some two great viral videos, both with a message, but when we make our videos, we make them so that they 
have hope that even though if it's a difficult situation, there is hope at the end of it. There's a great solution at the end of it. Because again, people don't want to just watch all doom and gloom. So now we had two um, of our videos that have gone viral. Well, why don't you tell us about the videos that have gone viral? What were the topics of those? Oh, well, first, well, I sat down with Alex and again, two dreamers together thinking, oh, how can we get the message out about puppy mills? <laughs> don't get a puppy from a pet store. Say no to puppy mills. How can we get that message out? Well, we had just done a big, we just helped with a big puppy mill bust here where I live in Georgia, the USA. And we'd rescued what turned out, we thought it was over 500, but actually what turned out to be 357 dogs and puppies from this one puppy mill. And we spent the whole day rescuing them. And there was uh, this one puppy that wasn't meant to live. And actually he ends up living, but he was so tiny. He was paired with a kitten in the shelter. And it was their relationship. They became best friends. So we just went to go film them. And we put that up on YouTube. And we made cutest rescue puppy and kitten the best friends. We put that in the sort of the tagline. And it started slow. And then all of a sudden, it started to be the numbers would go up. Sometimes 10,000 a day. Wow. The numbers would go out. And it started increasing, increasing, increasing until it's now at five. 1,992,589 views. Oh um, and it's literally a, it's a one and a half minute video of this puppy and this kitten playing with some music in the background, nicely edited together. But at the end of it, it has, you know, this puppy was rescued from a puppy mill. Fortunately, he survived. He was very sick, but he survived and he's now in a great home. And we put a picture of him, you know, as an adult. But there are still many more, you know, adoption saves lives, say no to puppy mills, that kind of stuff. That's it. So we got our message out, but we gave them a cute little video to watch. That's brilliant. That just actually yeah. literally gave me goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's that point you make is so fabulous about having to know who your audience is and what they want. And you're not going to reach them with the doom and gloom. So give them the cute puppy and kitten, which is all over Mashable and everywhere else. And then hit them at the end with the message. <laughs> that's Yeah, fun. you bet. That's yeah. exactly it. I mean, you know, even with our rescued puppy mill dogs get a second chance, we actually did do a, a longer video, again, five minute video of the puppy mill rescue that we did. And we set it up with the, the, the actual rescue. We didn't show the worst bits of theirs that you don't need to see it. You can see quite a, quite a lot, but you don't see the worst bits. And then we showed six weeks later, the adoption, the massive adoption event that happened where all these hundreds and hundreds of dogs were adopted, went into great homes. And then the end of the video is the one year reunion. So there again, we tell a story. It took us a year to do that video. It took us a year because, you know, we had to wait for the reunion a year later. Wow, that is long-term thinking. <laughs> yeah. So now that's 1,473 views and doing really well. And that was only posted three months ago. So you can see how with a bit of forward planning, but also the whole puppy mill thing is a passion project for me. I, uh, getting that information out there, we're doing it in a way that clicks with people. And that's what we want to do at Positive. We really want to educate. As my husband said, education is the most important thing. Make it really palatable, isn't it? This sort of like spoonful of sugar kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It yeah, really is. It's really smart. So I'm glad you mentioned YouTube because I think we're all sort of hearing everywhere in marketing that video really can't be ignored any longer. That if you're not, if you're not making videos, if you're not marketing through video, you're really missing the trick. So another thing I hear from entrepreneurs all the time is they hate being in front of the camera. And I'm no different. I'm a photographer. I like being behind the camera. I don't like being in front of it. 
it's hard to know how to act and what to say and how to stand. And it's hard to not be very, very aware that the camera is there. So what tips would you give people who are entering this sort of video age of marketing to feel more comfortable in front of the camera and just making videos and getting them out there? Fortunately, it was easy for me. Being in front of the camera was easy for me. Training in front of the camera is very, very different. Very, very different. So that I really had to learn that. But I was very comfortable being in front of the camera. Well, first of all, one of the tips that I'd say for people is just pretend it's not there. Pretend it's not there. Second tip is be succinct. I have this awful, you can probably hear, I have this, I go off on tangents. You know, and then and you're just talking, 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 which is really hard to edit. And it's really boring. (laughs) So be succinct. And that's what I learned from the producers on It's Me or the Dog. We had a lot of different producers for the different shows. And they would always say, Victoria, cut it down. How can you say what you just said in two minutes? How can you say that in 10 seconds (laughs) Or, or 30 seconds? And I really learned how to do that. So be succinct. Don't make your video too long. When people are watching on YouTube, they really want maybe two minutes, five minutes. And some of our longer videos that are maybe 10 minutes, they get less views because people just, you got like a quick hit, a quick fix. What I've discovered is that, yeah, more and more younger people are watching stuff on the internet. So telly watching where you're watching an hour show is becoming more prevalent with younger people on the internet, but still with older people, 30-somethings and above, TV is still very much the thing. And when people watch stuff on the internet, they want something short. So that's why I would say keep it as short as possible. Before you even do your video, plan it out, produce it. What do you want to achieve? What is your story arc? And what do you want to achieve? What is the information you want to get along? Another tip is put a little music in the background because sometimes just boring old video with just talking, it gets just boring. People switch off. But if you can have nice music in the background, that kind of provides that really good foundation. And then make your subject matter matter to people. Make it, this is relevant. This is going to help. This is going to educate. And it's interesting and entertaining. And that's one thing I learned on It's Me or the Dog. I went into it quite naive. Oh, I'm just going to train lots of dogs. Isn't going to be wonderful. And I realized very quickly, people don't really just want to watch dog training. (laughs) They, uh, you know, there's only so much things you can do with clicker training. They actually (laughs) need to be entertained. So that's why we also entertain on our videos too on YouTube. That is amazing advice. I love what you say about being succinct as well, because (laughs) that's a conversation I often have with your husband when we're actually writing copy that most people really, really struggle to say what they're trying to say in less words. And that's one of the greatest tips in marketing, I think, is to just cut it down, cut it down, cut it down, cut it down. And I think when you're talking about video, you know, that three minute, two minute, you know, 90 second video starts as sometimes hours and hours of footage, doesn't it? Just to get those moments, not necessarily for people creating YouTube videos, but it does, it's all the magic is is in the editing, isn't it? Tell us about a story arc. All right. So, you know, at school, you maybe learned the sort of that every story has a beginning, middle and an end. Yep. And that's that's the story arc. And that's what I use. So the rescued puppy mill dogs get a second chance YouTube video that we did. We did the puppy mill. That was the start of it. That was the beginning, the puppy mill rescue. And then the middle of it was 
the actual adoption and at the end of it was the reunion. So there was that really nice beginning, middle and end, that story arc. And that's that's what I mean. And and people like to have a button at the end, what I call a button, so that your whole story is buttoned up by the end of it. So it comes to a great, nice solution, a nice conclusion. And all of these kind of words you use or you hear in the TV world, oh, that's a nice button. That's a nice. So for example, when we're shooting video and um, Alex, my assistant, is also in front of camera now. So if I'm shooting video with her and she's doing something, I'll say, okay, now you need to have a nice button. And she now knows what that means. <laughs> she's just got to do a nice one sentence just to, just to finish it off. Okay. So people like walking away, feeling some resolution, some closure. Yes. We love closure. <laughs> we do. We need closure. We need closure. Same on It's Me or the Dog. You're seeing all that craziness to begin with but if I leave them at the end and it's still crazy at the end people are going to go oh no this is people need a good conclusion they need to see that everything is okay or at least there's a promise of it being okay right okay I'm going to jump back a little bit to kind of our conversation about the puppy mill and I know that's a big passion project for you but you also have like a hundred of these passion projects for good causes you know I know you do a lot with breed legislation and dog bite education. And I could probably name a hundred topics that you're very passionate about. So, and I'm sure you get inundated with requests to do appearances and write things and speak and do favors and for a million totally worthy, wonderful causes, but obviously you can't say yes to all of them. So how do you manage that process? And how do you say no? I do as much as I can. And the, 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 when we say no, we have a very good reason for saying no. And the reason is that I just can't, can't, my schedule won't allow it. But that's another thing where I take my job very seriously in that I have been blessed with this platform and now I'm going to use it and I'm going to use it. And if I'm going to use it for good, I'm going to use it for good. So that means that I will do as many charity events as I can. Uh, give away as many books as I can um, for charity auctions, things like that. But actually being on the board or an advisory board, I don't do too many of those because I don't have enough time. And even the couple of boards that I am on, I still feel like I don't give them what they need. And so I think when you're starting off in business, especially when you're in the animal business and you're an expert in some way, you could spend your whole time doing pro bono work. And then you have no career and you can't pay your mortgage. So you have to have a balance. It's like when I first started with training clients and they used to call me and tell me about their issues, I would sometimes be on the phone with them for an hour, even before I saw them. <laughs> and I realized that, wait a second, no, 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 because that's my time. I need to be paid for my time. Mm. And I'm going to give away a little bit on the phone, but you need to see me. And so I became, again, very controlled, I think, by the way that how much information I give over the phone, how long I would speak on the phone, because I knew that I would be much better in person. And so I think there are people that get upset if you can't do something. But most people understand. And I just say, you know, hey, inquire, inquire, because I might be able to do I might be able to do it. And that's my advice. Don't let it completely overrun you, because there are some people that too will take advantage. 
So boundaries, I guess, when you're talking about yes. like being on the phone with your dog training clients, outline the boundaries and where they fall and then stick to them. Cause I know you have no trouble being firm when you need to, <laughs> do you? No, I don't. I, I really don't. <laughs> but that's why we love you, Victoria. <laughs> so you are doing something very exciting right now that I'm not sure how many people know about yet, which is that you've just sort of opened although you're it hasn't actually happened yet the Victoria Stillwell Dog Training Academy tell us about that yeah we have our first lot of people in February um our students and we that was it from the beginning too I remember my husband saying to me even from the very beginning I want us to teach people that I mean we could teach them on tv but I want us to teach people to be trainers and so that's what we're doing now to, to actually set up an academy, it's one thing to have courses. I do a lot of different courses or seminars, things like that. But to actually set up an academy where people are going to come and they're going to learn how to be dog trainers is a whole different deal. It's massive. Writing curriculum, just even all of the, the what you need to set up an academy. Just like jumping through the hoops is crazy. And I know you guys had to wait months just for certain certifications and permissions and things. Yes, it's just huge. But if I want to, you know, because the issue, the problem we still have, especially in the United States, but also in a lot of other different countries, is there are still so many trainers out there training old school, traditional styles that concentrates more on punishing dogs and forcing dogs to obey. Well, our academy is going to be t- now churning out <laughs> Trainers that are really, you know, they they follow modern behavioral and cognitive science. These guys are going to be educated with the the latest research. They're going to be taught how to do things in the right way, and that's why we're very excited about this academy because it's really, I mean, it's top of the line. This academy is top of the line. We got, I'm going to be teaching there a lot. We've got world class faculty. We've got the best teachers, and again, we've got a lot a lot of hard. So as you set these things up, there's always, I'm sure there's always things that we'll be able to improve on, but I'm very excited about it. So you have your first lot of students starting in February? Yes, the end of February, yes. Right. And do you know when your next class will be enrolling? We're not going to uh, announce that yet because we, we our, our first class is full. We have a waiting list. So we have people asking for when the next class is going to be. So we're just um, figuring that out. Again, it has to correspond with all my filming dates because I've been doing a lot of filming, you know, this last year, 2015, I've been filming a great new television show in the UK, and that's going to be airing in the UK spring, summer 2016. And so I have a lot of other different filming projects, another big filming project here as well that we're working on. Um, I'm now working with Canine Cops. Yeah. And so uh, other big projects there. So we have to fit it into my schedule because, hey, it's my academy. I want to be there. I want to teach. That's my passion is teaching. Wow. That is a really fantastic gift because not only are you going to be creating a program where these trainers can learn, like you said, learning from somewhere they can trust, but also the knock-on effect of having well-educated, positive trainers out there, training dogs, training people. That's huge. That's huge. Even, you know, sort of 25 people at a time. That's an incredible impact. Yeah, it is. It is. And I'm very, and you know, the people who want to be trainers, I mean, it's not, it's not, they have to pay. I mean, it's not like a, it, it, it's they have to really want to do this really want to do it and so I, I already our students I'm so excited to meet them because they're just again really dynamic people yeah I'm sure you're not going to let them go without doing a lot of hard work <laughs> 
Yeah, no, no, not at all. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. <laughs> all right, Victoria. So tell us where people can find the Academy and find Positively and follow you online. Okay, so first of all, you can go to Positively.com if you um, want to see what we're doing with regards to, well, anything, any kind of information, any kind of, of videos, you can find them at, at Positively.com. And I love the website. I love the website that you've created for us. <laughs> <laughs> nice plug. <laughs> yeah, no, you did. I mean, uh, it is, it, it really is. I mean, the web, you know, you remember how, what an absolute nightmare it was getting that website up. What a lot of work it was because it's literally, it's got hundreds and hundreds of pages. It is a ridiculous vault of content. There is so much there. Yeah, it's really valuable. Yeah, so um, positive.com, you can find a lot. Um, if you want to find out about the Academy, you go to vsdogtrainingacademy.com. You can find out about how you can enroll there as a student, and we will be branching out to, to other countries as well. We're, right now, we're starting in the US, but we will be branching out in, into the UK and hopefully you know, to other places as well. You want to follow me on Facebook, go to facebook.com forward slash Victoria Stillwell, on Twitter at Victoria S. And on YouTube, just Google my name and you'll see lots of YouTube videos. So subscribe to my YouTube channel, which again is just youtube.com slash Victoria Stillwell. And Instagram? Instagram. I think it's just, oh gosh, I don't even know what my Instagram account is. I, <laughs> I think okay. it's Victoria Stillwell, but we should it's probably Victoria look it Stillwell, up. <laughs> yeah, it's Victoria Stillwell on Instagram. How, how bad is that? Um, <laughs> and also, you know, I have some books out there as well. I'm in the process of just got my fourth book to the editor so which is uh, gonna be a great new book I can't tell you the title yet but I'm very excited about I am it. very excited about this book when do you know when it'll be out yeah I think September 2016 okay so yeah but train your dog positive is out there it's me or the dog how to have the perfect pet is out there too if you want to read about anything that's it I think I think and, uh, yeah and catch me on um sky one if you're in the UK spring summer of 2016 Wow, that is an incredible lot to look forward to. Thank you for doing what you do and for putting so much out there. And thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. I'm sure, as ever, people will find it very, very interesting, educational and inspiring. So thanks for spending your time with us, Victoria. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Nicole, because you do amazing things for animals and in business and everything. And I'm very, very pleased to be in business with you. Oh, thanks, Victoria. Okay, so how amazing is Victoria? I don't know about you, but I just find her grit and her guts so inspiring. The fact that she's just like, fear? No, no fear. If you don't apply to Harvard, you don't get in. <laughs> I think it's a great lesson for all of us that, you know, what's the worst that could happen if we chase our dreams? And also, I really appreciate the fact that she's taken time to give us some really, really practical business advice for how to show up in our businesses. We talked about making the perfect YouTube video. We talked about how to set boundaries with our clients, which is something I know I and almost everyone I've ever worked with has struggled to do. It's so hard to know the balance between giving back and protecting our own sort of needs and desires and space and time. So since we've actually recorded this interview, a couple things have happened. One, you can now apply to Victoria Stilwell's Dog Training Academy at vsdta.com. The other exciting new thing is that her book, The Secret Language of Dogs, is now available for pre-order on Positively.com. So depending on when you listen to this, it'll be pre-order or order. 
but you can find that new book. And I, I'm so excited about this because it's all about canine body language and cognition. It's really, really interesting if you're interested in the way that dogs perceive the world. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the first ever Animal House podcast. Of course, if you're listening to this on iTunes or some other platform, be sure you visit workingwithdog.com slash podcast for all episodes and a little download from this episode that will help you really, really implement the advice that Victoria has given us today. And that's workingwithdog.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. And I hope to see you next week for our second ever episode of Animal House Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Nicole Smith. We'll see you then.